There is one great love, one great love in Jesus. What's going to happen at the name of Jesus? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. Powerful stuff, huh? Oh, all right, let's pray. Father, you are holy, you are awesome, and you are mighty, and it is because of your name, because of the greatness of who you are, that we come together and we just uh, lay it all out before you today, Lord, and just ask you to accept it as our worship. Ask you to accept it, may it be pleasing to your ears, Father God, the, the effort that we bring forth this morning to lift you up as God and Father and King of all kings. Uh, open our hearts, Father, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Having an emotional problem today. I don't know what my problem is. Got a little Lois Bratton in me today. Do you, uh, do you guys remember, I think it was about three winters ago, that we had that real mild winter? Do you remember that? Um, it obviously wasn't um, two winters ago. That was the really rough one. But I think it was uh, three, and four, three or four winters ago. It was really mild, and I think the whole country was experiencing it. I know in Indiana we were. And a friend and I, um, actually my friend decided he was going to, going to go to a preaching conference up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And um, the elders said, you know, would you like to go to? And I said, sure. And so it was a John Piper conference. If you know John Piper, well-known uh, name among um, the Christian world today, the evangelical world. And he has a, not only a church up there, Bethlehem Baptist Church, uh, but he also uh, has a seminary that he teaches at. And so uh, Nathan and I were, were going to go up there and we were going to drive to Minneapolis from Indianapolis Minneapolis to, from Indianapolis. And uh, it was kind of a lengthy drive, but um, it was one of those unseasonably warm winters. Now, I've, I've been to Minneapolis in January and February when I worked with Target, and it's not pleasant. I mean, it's just bitter cold, and you've experienced it up here and up there. I don't know what it is, but it just pierces right through you. And they even have gerbil tunnels, is what I call them, that you can actually go into a, a store or a hotel and it's connected to the whole city. So once you get into work or where you're going, you can pretty much stay warm just by going all the way around the city in these in these gerbil tunnels. Well, this was one of those winters when actually when we got up there for the conference, we didn't have to do that. We got outside. We walked. We walked down to Piper's Church and kind of checked it out and got some literature and things and were able to walk around the city. Well, as all conferences go, and this was a great one, again, preaching and teaching conference, so just some good, powerful stuff. Um, but as conferences go, they usually leave you some free time so that you can process, so that your brain doesn't explode, so that you can kind of get out and explore a little bit. And because it was so unseasonably warm, the folks there at the conference said, hey, we're going to do something that we don't normally do, but because it's warm, we can. But we have a group that's outside of the city um, that will offer some horseback rides. If you'd like to go kind of see the scenery on horseback. Well, I'm not much of a horse guy, but I thought, yeah, why not? You know, um, I can go. I've, I've been horseback riding once or twice in my life. So I, they take us out there outside of the city, of course, of, of Minneapolis and beautiful country. If you've never been to Minnesota, it's just a very beautiful area. And we go out there and they, they match us up with this horse, you know, and they help us get on there. And, you know, we, we have our horse's name. I don't remember what mine was or anything. And, and we get on and uh and we start to, they take us on these trails and they have a leader with us. And so we start to go. And when the horse starts, of course, it's walking, right? And um, then it starts to trot. You know that uncomfortable, you know, if you've ever been on a horse, you're kind of on that uncomfortable. It's kind of bouncing you up and down and your vertebrae are shifting, you know, as you, as you go. And I kind of was at that point. And then my horse went into this full gallop. I mean, it's just going. And I'm like, 
ah, I don't, I'm not a horse guy. I don't know what to do here. Right? And so I'm riding along on this thing, and we're going through trails, and i got trees and bushes, and I'm dodging, and I'm thinking, where is everybody? And I'm going on this horse, and I am start riding, and then I start to fall. I'm starting to come down on the side of my horse, and I'm thinking, what in the world's going on? I'm going to die in the middle of Minnesota on this horse trail, and I'm about to fall off my horse, and the Walmart manager came and unplugged the thing. And whew, man, it was just harrowing experience. Harrowing experience. Um, I think we all would say that we enjoy a good story, right? Um, I love a good story. I especially love to, to laugh. I'm a really good audience, and so I really usually find things funny in what other people may not. But um, I love listening to a good story. Well, we're going to take a look this net this uh, series, these next three Sundays, at three stories that Jesus told. And the stories that Jesus told are called what? Parables, right? A parable. And a parable I learned when I was in Sunday school, when I was a little kid in elementary school, that a parable is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And basically what that means is that Jesus told a story that had um, earthly connections so that his hearers understood and knew what he was talking about. And the meaning of the story that he had had something to do with spiritual things, right? Had to do with how we might understand who God is or the kingdom of heaven or that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he would use stories related to the culture, for example, farming, um, bridegrooms. And so he talks about wedding feasts, right? Um, He talks about uh, the lost coin, the lost sheep and the prodigal son. And some say that's actually one parable as opposed to three And it connects with that culture because when you're a farmer and you lose one sheep, it's a very valuable resource. And so his audience could understand, absolutely, I'd leave the 99 and go get that one because that's a hundredth of that's that's important. Lose one coin that has something more to do with marital fidelity and how people see you. And so the people of that time said, she lost one of her coins that was sewn into her dress. Are you kidding me? And. Jesus shares, yeah, and she cleaned the house, she wiped out, she moved out all the furniture to find that one coin. What connected with his audience, when the prodigal son says, Dad, I want, I want my inheritance, that audience knew that that child was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my money. I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance and go do what I want to do. And it connected with his audience, and then he used the connection with his audience through that story to be able to make a spiritual connection so that they might come to know who Jesus is. Well, again, we're going to start this series today called Breathe It In and Let It Out. And the whole idea behind our series is understanding what it means to breathe in God's word and understand what it means to know him, to love him, that we might be able to breathe it out so that others might be able to see him in us. But more importantly, even hear him from the words that we speak to them, that it might fall on them. All right. So we're going to take a look. Mark chapter four, Mark chapter four. And today is the longest parable. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Uh, again, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. It should be on the screen behind me eventually. And, uh, or there's a Bible in front of you uh, in the chair that you could use there as well. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. Once again, meaning that obviously this was a regular occurrence for him. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into the boat. We've read up to this point. Jesus is teaching. He's healing. He's casting out demons. So what's happening? Everybody's coming to see Jesus, right? You and I would, would do the same. Very large crowd soon gathered around him, and so he got into a boat. He sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore, 
And he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. So Jesus is sitting in a boat. People are probably on uh, the seashore, which is probably a slanted kind of a mountain or hill. Um, It helps amplify his voice. Right. And he's in the boat so that people are crushing around him, gives him the opportunity to teach through to him to them. And he's going to do it in the form of parables. And here goes the first one. He says, listen, that's probably an important word there because uh, that wouldn't have to be there from John Mark. But apparently it was one that Jesus said that he wanted to capture their attention. So we should do the same. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed and he scattered it across his field. Some of the seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly. Oh, all right. You know what? I do that every time I do my Bible reading plan in the NLT and I do my uh, preaching in the ESB. Let's try that again. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And Jesus said, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. And so Jesus tells this parable, tells this story. He says, all right, I'm going to tell you about a farmer and he's going to sow seed. And you could sow seed one of two ways. You could either have this contraption where you have ox with a with a yoke on them, pulling a plow, uh, this wooden contraption with a metal blade in it that the ox are pulling and uh, the farmers kind of digging it into the soil and someone following around, putting seed in there and covering it up with dirt. Or apparently, as Jesus is sharing with us in this story, it's more of the visual of a farmer who has all this land and he's got this bag of seed. And he's going to put his hand in there and just start scattering and spreading and go with more of the broadcast measure uh, method, if you will, of just scattering the seed about. And he said, as this farmer is scattering the seed, something's going to fall along this path. Now, in these farms, people are walking through, trodden, going different directions. And obviously, as I'm just scattering seed everywhere, some of it's going to fall on this place where it's got no chance. As soon as it hits, birds are going to come and grab it. Right. Um, It may be a place where people are walking a lot. It just does not have a chance at all to grow and produce any kind of fruit. 
He said some is going to fall upon this rocky soil, the soil where it doesn't have much depth. There's rocks there, so um, it'll start to grow, but the root will only get about yay big. And then the sun comes out and because it's not strong and sturdy enough, right, it's going to scorch it and it's going to kill it. It's not going to be able to survive. So some's going to some of the seed is going to fall among places where there are thorns and thistles growing up. Right. Anybody have dandelions growing up yet? In Indiana, this time of year, my yard will be completely yellow. Just beautiful. Yeah. Uh, right. And if you've ever looked at where a dandelion is, all around it has this dead grass. And when you get right on it, and it's because it's choked out that good grass, that good seed that it can't grow. And then Jesus said, then there are some. Oh, there are some that just grows on great soil. It's been cultivated. It's been mixed up. It's been there's a little hole there for it. And it goes in and dirt falls on top of it. And it just grows and explodes into all this amazing Amazing fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold times, right? And then uh, we can kind of imagine and visualize this, that the disciples, as Jesus is teaching this, are going, yeah, mm-hmm, yes, preach it, Jesus. Yes, yes. And he gets done with his parable, and then what do they do? Hey, uh, can you explain that to us? <laughs> can you help us understand what this parable means? And Jesus goes on with the explanation. There's one part in the passage that we need to slow down for just a second, because it sounds like in this verse that Jesus is saying, um, I don't want everybody to understand because there are some I don't want to be forgiven. All right. That's obviously not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus quotes Isaiah and he says, um, you have been given the secrets of the kingdom, but there are some who have it. And to them, it's just a parable. It's just a story. And their hearts are so hard that they're not listening and understanding anything that I'm sharing with them. And if you go to Matthew 13, we have a a better explanation of this. In Matthew 13, in the same parable, Jesus says, it's as if or it's like Isaiah, his prophecy is coming true, that there are some people that have so hard of hearts that they're not listening. They can't even understand this story that I'm sharing with them. And if they would just listen, if they would just pay attention, if it would just pierce their heart, they, too, could have forgiveness and turn to Jesus. But instead, they don't because their heart is too hard. And then Jesus goes, of course, to share the explanation of of each of the sowers or each of the soils. Well, I want us to look at three different things today. The first is the seed itself. We have the seed, the soil and the produce that I want to look at because I couldn't think of an S word that meant produce. And so now the rest of the service, you're going to be trying to think of an S word that means produce, aren't you? All right. So we have the seed, the soil and the produce. First of all, we have the seed. The seed is what? It's the word of God, right? The word of God and the word of God, just as Jesus parables were relevant to the people of that day. God's word, the Bible is relevant to us today. It is still relevant to us today from Creation, which obviously is relevant to us today, to the calling of Abraham and the Israelite people as his nation, to Jesus fulfilling the covenant, the old covenant, the covenant that Jesus had with his people dying on the cross for our sins. It is all relevant to us today. In fact, without the Bible, how would we know what heaven is, who God is, what sin is and the fact that we need a savior? We wouldn't. Right. And so we have God's word to be able to share that with us. If you go to Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it says God's word is what? Living and active, right? Living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and able to discern between our thoughts and our intentions of our heart. God's word is a powerful, powerful thing. 
a powerful, powerful thing in our lives. I sold books door to door a couple of summers when I was in college. That's a whole new set of stories we'll get to someday. All right. Um, but as I was selling books, I had a guy that was training us and teaching us how to sell books. And he would use this line. He said, you know, it's a book. It's like a parachute. It only works if it's open. All right. That was kind of funny. Come on. This is a little catchy. Nothing. All right. Whew. All right. God's word is a very active and alive and vital part of the Christian's life, of the world's existence to have God's word. It's living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. When I was reading the scripture, I can't get away from the infomercial where the guy takes that knife, you know, and he's selling the knives and he cuts the pop can and then he's able to cut a tomato, right? God's word is sharp. It divides you. It gets in and cuts your heart up to pieces and cultivates it. So when the word falls on your heart, that it will produce great fruit. That's how living and active and amazing God's word is. And it is still relevant to us today. How can we call ourselves Christians and not open this daily. (laughs) How can we not be hungry for it if we truly believe who Jesus is? That's how amazing God's word is. And it is still relevant for us today. God's word is also sown all around the world today. It is sown all around the world today. There are two organizations in America that I know of that are very active in making sure that God's word is spread throughout all the world. Uh, One is Pioneer Bible Translators. I believe we support a missionary um, that works for Pioneer. I have some friends personally that work at their headquarters in Texas. And there's also another one called Wycliffe Bible Translators, and they're out of Florida. And this is what I pulled this off of Wycliffe's website. And it says this. How many languages have scripture? How many languages would you say have scripture? How many would you say uh, over a thousand? Over two thousand. All right. 2,883 languages have scripture, but of those, only 531 have a complete Bible. Another 1,329 have the New Testament. 1,023 others have at least one book of the Bible, right? 1,023. That means there's 1,860 that don't have a book of the Bible in their language. And these two organizations make it their life's mission, their life's work to take God's word and interpret it into all these different languages throughout all the world so that people might have that. And Jesus was talking about just the word being sown in the crowd that he was teaching to and sharing with. And we ourselves have the community of Kalkaska to be able to spread God's word and on Sunday morning to spread God's word. And God's word is still being sown today, not just here, but all around the world. That's the seed. God's word. Powerful, powerful tool that we have at our disposal to read and to open and to learn and to understand. Second, I want to look at the soil. I want to look at um, the soil when God's word or anything is shared with us. I think it's processed in three different ways. First, we we hear it or it gets into our body somehow. Right. If you're if someone has is hearing impaired, it might be through visual right through seeing them. Um, But we have this tool that we have our ears that when God's word is shared or any other information is shared, it comes into our ear. And then we have this brain or this mind that processes it. And then we have a heart that brings us conviction as to whether we think it's true or not. Okay, I'll give you an example. If I said to you today, Barack Obama is a good father. All right. Some of you, you heard Barack Obama good and stopped. Right. Just blocked it out. Nope. Don't know what this guy's talking about. Darn liberal word. We hire him from. Right. 
Okay, Um, some of you heard Barack Obama is a good father. It went into your brain and you're like, okay, let me think about this. Let's see. Well, I see him with Sasha and Malia. I see them doing some things together. I've read this about him. It sounds like they're pretty solid parents. Or others of you may say, you know what? I read this about him or I heard this or I observed him doing this when I saw him at the mall the other day. Right. And so when it gets to our heart, we have this conviction. Yeah, I agree with Andy. I think that Barack Obama is a good father. Or I might say, you know what, based on the information I have, I'm not ready to say that. Or, you know what, I don't think so. Right. And so we have this three ways that information comes in. We hear it and then we process it. And then we have this conviction as to whether we would agree and say it's true or not. Well, let's look at the soils that Jesus talks about, because with this soil, um, Jesus tells us that there are some people that have ears, but they don't hear. They have ears, but they they don't hear. And these are people, and you know them, I know them, that um, as soon as they see you coming, they know that the word Jesus, the name Jesus is going to come out of your mouth. And so they just block you off before you even open your mouth. We know people that we try to share God's word with, and it's like they have this force field all over them, that it just bounces off of them because birds are coming, Satan's coming just to take it right away from them before it can absorb into them whatsoever. It barely gets into their ears, if it gets into their ears at all. Because it's just swept away because they've decided, I reject this, I want nothing to do with this. I have closed ears when it comes to the Bible, to Christianity, to who Jesus is. And he said, that's the seed that falls on the path. I'm wasting seed. I'm throwing it out there and they don't care. Just completely apathetic to God's word and to Christianity and to anything. And Jesus said, some will fall on that. And quite frankly, that's no chance. They're just so closed-minded. Heart is so hard. That they won't even receive it in their ears. Secondly, after people, some people have ears but don't hear. Some people have uh, minds that wander. Some people have minds that wander. Some people become Christians. They accept Jesus as their Savior. And they're so excited. And they start to share it with family members, friends, co-workers. Man, I'm so excited about this thing that I saw. And then tragedy happens. They lose a loved one. They lose their job. They go to write the bill for their mortgage or the rent and they're like um there's not enough in there to cover this check what do i do and the cares of the world come up and instead of falling on their knees and looking up to heaven or better yet not better yet but also yet surrounding themselves with the church family their christian brothers and sisters and praying and looking for answers they instead start to look for answers themselves and they get distracted And their mind wanders to what else has hope? What else has the answers that I'm looking for that I need to resolve this problem that I have? Romans 8.28 says, don't you know that all of us who believe in God, everything works together for good for those who have been called according to his purpose. There are people that when they become Christians and life hits them hard, they turn away. James 1, 2 through 4 says, consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of every kind, because the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness and steadfastness. When it works itself into you and becomes complete, you become perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. What James is telling us is that um, be, to become like Jesus so that we're in the refiner's fire and Jesus pulls it out, pulls us out and sees his image in us. Part of that process is facing trials 
It's facing hardships that come and being able to stay steadfast in our belief, our trust in Jesus, knowing that he is the one. He is the answer to carry us through. That's part of being like Jesus is facing trials and be able to come through on the other side saying, I still believe. I still believe. We had a life group uh, when I was a couple of churches ago, I was a, a member of and 80 percent of our church was in small group. We called them life groups. And uh, we had one group of eight or ten people. And then this one group, one group meeting in a home on a 56th Street in Indianapolis. There was cancer. There was job loss. There were kids gone astray. They were dealing with all of it. And all they could do is bow down together and pray and say, God must be doing a great work in us because Satan is threatened and he wants to attack See, we talked about a couple of times so far this year, the fact that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's with the spiritual world. It's with Satan. And when you become a Christian, when you give your life to Christ, Satan says, I don't want that person in heaven with God for eternity. I'm going to win this one. And he picks on us and he drags us down and he puts all these temptations in front of us and tries to pull us away and distract us from God and who Jesus is and wanting to be like him. Well, James says, consider that pure joy because you're not going to be complete and perfect until you've been a Christian and you've stated that Jesus is Lord and you face these trials and tribulation. And on the other side, you continue to say that Jesus is Lord. But Jesus said some people that seed falls on their hearts and. Their root only gets so big and it dies, the scorching wind. Last week, I told you about a house Lisa and I lived in on Spring Lake Drive in Brownsburg, Indiana. Well, I didn't tell you this of what the builder did. The builder went in and he said, all right, I'm going to build a gazillion houses on this place. And you know what he did? He just scraped everything, topsoil and all, right off that land. <laughs> so all we had were a bunch of houses and a desolate land. <laughs> um, but with your money, you also got a front yard of sod, right? You got a front yard of sod. And so uh, these guys came in and they laid down that sod and we just started to water it and water it and water it and water it and water it. But you know what sod does when it's laid on ground that has no topsoil? The sun comes along, burns it right up. Every one of my neighbors, we had to go to them again and say, hey, we need more sod. We need more something. And we had to reseed and plant. Well, it's because that sod, it wasn't thick enough. It couldn't get deep enough roots to be able to survive the harsh summers that we might have. And needed constant attention. And Jesus said some hearts are the same way that the roots are only that deep. And when distractions and when persecution comes, they turn away from God as opposed to turning to him. Third, Jesus says some soil uh, falls on among these thorns and thistles. And I would say that some people's hearts are deceived. Some people's hearts are deceived. And these folks that have this seed come on them. I think is the most prevalent soil that we have in the Christian church in America today. And I would say, quite frankly, that there are some in this room and definitely in this community that struggle with this idea of my heart being soil that is among thorns and thistles. Matthew 6, 24 says that you can't serve both. You can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other or uh, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And I think in America today, man, this is the toughest soil that we have. And it's very prevalent that we want what Jesus has to offer. But man, that world sure is pulling us 
this way and this way. And we start to justify, well, that's not really a sin. And we start to look more like the world instead of like Jesus. I had a, a guy that I, I've met before, um, very wealthy guy. He actually started QVC or that kind of stuff. And he was very involved in the Christian community. But he goes like this. He'll get really involved in the Christian community and then they won't see him for a while. And then he'll come back with all this money and then he'll go away. And I actually heard a preacher say he has one foot firmly planted in Jesus and one foot firmly planted in the world. And I thought, no, <laughs> you can't have feet planted firmly in both places. We either firmly plant ourselves in the love of Jesus Christ, glorifying him and giving him honor for all that we are and everything that we have and everything that we do. Or we follow and look like the world. And Jesus said some seed falls on hearts that are like that, that they start to take root. It starts to look good. But the world and the selfishness and the greed starts to take hold and it chokes out the word. It chokes out the seed. It chokes out that plant so that that plant produces no fruit. And lastly, I would say that there are some that have a well cultivated faith. There are some that have a well cultivated faith. In James five, uh, James chapter five, verses seven and eight, James talks about a farmer and he says, be patient like the farmer. You know, the farmer, he he plants and then he waits for the morning rains and the evening rains and he watches this plant grow. He says, be patient like that and watch the fruit grow. And in verse eight, he says, establish your heart for the coming of the kingdom is at hand. Establish your heart. When I think about uh, cultivating um, has anybody ever planted a plant, a flower, a garden, a farm? All right, I'm not the only one. Good. I'm not very good at it. But when I do this, when I have patches of grass, for example, I'd go out and I would work up the yard in this little spot. All right. And then I would put the seed down and I'd cover it or put some potting soil or topsoil on top of it. I might fertilize it a little bit and then water it like crazy. And what happens? We have growth. And Jesus said, some people's hearts are like that. They're well cultivated. Meaning that Jesus is coming in with the word of God, piercing through it, chopping it up, breaking it wide open, pouring his word inside of it, covering it back up, watering it, establishing it so that there might be growth. And Jesus said some lives, some souls are like that, that they are wide open and ready that when the word is sown on them, it just takes root and takes off. And that's the kind of soil, of course, that we want in our heart. Now, it doesn't take rocket science. And I will give you all the Sunday school answers about what it means to cultivate your heart. One, read the Bible. Just read. Sometimes you can just ponder two or three verses, but just read. Read through the book of Mark. We've been going through it for uh, this part of the year so far. It's 16 chapters. Read it this week. Read it tomorrow. And just read. And allow God's word just to pierce through your heart and to overwhelm you. Pray. Bow down. Pray. Speak whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to speak to the Lord God Almighty. Have some time of solitude. Fast. Get away. Surround yourself with your family. Ask them what they learned in Sunday school today. These are the kind of things that cultivate our heart so that when God's word is sown in our heart, it produces fruit. So let's talk real quick about the produce. Let's talk real quick. About the produce. A good harvest will produce good fruit. A good harvest will produce good fruit. If we look back into our scripture in Mark chapter 4, right toward the end. 
says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. Hear the word and accept it. A good harvest is going to produce people that not only hear God's word, but accept it and follow it and cling to it and live by it. That's what a healthy piece of fruit will look like. The healthy fruit that we're looking at to uh, come from our lives. It means discipleship. It means hanging around people that are Christians and believers that we can share in God's word together, that we can live life together. And that's good, healthy fruit that comes from that. Secondly, a good harvest will produce a great amount of fruit. Jesus said 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold fruit comes from that good soil that the word of God is planted on. And we want to see that kind of revival in our community, that the fruit that is growing inside of our lives, because we had a well cultivated heart, a well cultivated faith, so that when God's word was planted on us and the fruit started to grow, that everyone in this community will come to say, wow, there is something different about those people. They don't live or look like the world. They look like something else. And we can say, yes, we're trying our best to live and look and be like Jesus. And that's where a great amount of fruit will come as we as a people of God grow that kind of fruit in our lives. And then finally, a good harvest is going to yield next year's fruit. My wife was reading about morel mushrooms. Any mushroom hunters? All right. Yeah, I'm kind of so so on them, but just the hunt is fun, right? And uh, nobody shares your place with you. I get it. It's a secret. I understand. My wife was reading about them and she said, you know, they say that if you go hunting for morel mushroom and you come across one that's about yay big, it's better to leave it so that the spores, I guess, will spread and that more will come up all around it. But instead, what do we do? Hey, man, that's gold. Someone else is going to get it if I don't. Right. (laughs) But what happens is those spores spread. It brings up next year's crop. After the farmers will yield their harvest today when they'll bring in their harvest this year. That seed that comes from that harvest will be put together and seed companies will go and sell it back to the farmers. And that'll be next year's seed. And my point is that is that um, the seed that's falling on your heart and the fruit that's growing from you is not only going to affect you, but it's going to affect the people around you in our community. Most importantly, it's going to affect your children as they grow up and watch you and see and understand who you are, that you are a Christ follower, that you love Jesus. And so this year's yield is going to produce next year's crops. This year's work that you do in God's word, living it, breathing it, understanding it, growing in it, spending time with God is going to yield a great crop next year. It might be your kids, your co-workers, your family members. I don't know. But it's going to be the work of God in your life. Back at Spring Lake Drive, I had a neighbor named Michael. Young punk. All right, I really liked Michael. Well, you know what he did? That turkey had the audacity to go out, rake all the rocks up out of his backyard. And then he took a tiller. He tilled it all up, broke up all the soil, and then he planted his grass seed. Well, I was over at the other side, just, come on, come on, grow, grow, grow. (laughs) Michael had this great, big, beautiful yard because he was patient. And he watered it and he worked up the soil. And from that came a great, beautiful, grassy yard that I'd send my kids over to his house to play instead of mine. Right. God is working on your heart today. He's cultivating your heart so that as the word of God is continuously spread over you, that it might yield a great fruit for your life. 
for the community's life, your family's life, for everyone around us, even to the ends of the earth. But it's only going to happen if we're like that soil that we're ready to be cultivated and have our heart open to who God is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sowing it in our hearts. Lord, our prayer for you this morning is that you would open our hearts, that you would cultivate our hearts, that we would come prepared to have the word sown in us, that we might bear a good fruit and a good harvest, a healthy harvest and a harvest that will last not just now, but for years to come as people look and say, that is a community of believers that loves Jesus and they look like him, not like the world. Father, we love you and we thank you for the gift of Jesus that even gives us the opportunity to have the word sown in us. May we be faithful to it. In Jesus' name, amen.